All right. Well, good morning and welcome. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. If you don't, there are some in the back. You are allowed to have those and take those home. So uh, we actually encourage that. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, uh, this day that you have made. And we're told to rejoice and to be glad in it. Um, and as a people, we have so many things to be thankful for. They're just the sunshine, the warmth that we're going to have today, friendship, family, just the ability to gather together. We give you thanks for all those things, and we just slow down and slow our minds and slow our hearts and want to receive from you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, for the last three months, as Michael alluded to, we have been using Richard Foster's book called Celebration of Discipline as a launching pad to talk about the different disciplines in the Christian walk. And Richard Foster does this really great thing where he outlines them as inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and then corporate disciplines. So things that we just sort of inwardly participate on our own in a quiet style. Outward, things like acts of service and generosity that we do outside of ourselves. And then corporate, like the things that we all do together and coming uh, to worship, to praise, to uh, celebrate as Carson's going to talk on next week. However, for the last Uh, Well, last week and now this week, we are just hitting pause to talk about a much-needed discipline that's not in his book, though really is an overarching theme idea of his book, and it's that of Sabbath, Sabbath rest. And as you were possibly here last week, we gave a lot of theology behind Sabbath and some ideas of practice behind Sabbath. And this mindset of creating a weekly rhythm of rest that we get to enter into, to cease from labor, to celebrate, to enjoy, to go, yes, to let out that breath of air and say, God, you are good. And what you'll begin to notice if you accept this invitation, not command, but this invitation into rest, is it begins to develop a healthy pattern in your own life of being able to say no, even in your weekly rhythms. I'm already once saying no to something one day a week and resting. But we all know the craziness and busyness that life brings, and we are used the word yes far too much. And practicing Sabbath is actually an invite into the daily rhythms of ceasing, of margins, and of healthy living. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a very famous passage, if you've been around church much, about two women, probably the most or some of the most besides Mary, the mother of Jesus, but famous women in the scriptures. Jesus spent a lot of time, whether it was with Lazarus, and these are his sisters, and that whole story in John, or or this section of scripture now with Martha and Mary. And what's taking place is Jesus and his crew are hanging out at this home. And in that culture, in that day, if you invited somebody into your house, you were on the hook for the hospitality. And Domino's did not deliver, just, just to let you know. Okay. So there'd be cooking and cleaning and preparation and just, just a host of other issues and making sure the time went well. And it says, now as they went on their way, In verse 38, 
They entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So you already have this juxtaposition between these two women. Now, first and foremost, this Lady Martha, uh, she's a wonderful woman as you read about her in the scriptures. She's the one that we looked at just a few weeks back when her brother was dead and Jesus delayed coming. And she said, Lord, if you had just arrived a little bit sooner, our brother would not be dead. First and foremost, that shows a lot of faith in Jesus' ability to heal, to restore, to make things new. Then she gets into this theological description or discussion with him where, where Jesus says, yeah, but, but we can resurrect him. Oh, I know about the resurrection, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead that's going to take place. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to do something in this moment that is a foretelling of something even greater future to come. And she's just like, wow. She has this conversation with Jesus. She's a faith-filled woman. She was excited to be around Jesus. She obviously learned much about scriptures as she had just a robust theology concerning the resurrection of even the body of the dead. Yet here in this passage of scripture, you see these two women, women, Mary and Martha. And in this instance, it's Mary who seems to be getting it right. Mary, sitting at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Wow. If you're just casually reading this, I think you gloss over that. Lord, do you not care about me? Anybody else ever prayed that in their present circumstances? God Are you watching? Are you seeing? Do you care? Do you realize what I'm being put through? This is her issue, though. It's not simply because of the load or the amount of work she has. She says, do you not care that my sister has left me? How come she gets to sit? Right? If you have more than one child, have you ever heard that in your household? Like, hey, Ava, you need to go take care of this today. Well, what's Benny going to have to do, Dad? (laughs) How come? And I'm like, what's it to you if Benny and I sit down and play some Mario Kart while you finish your chores? It doesn't go over well. (laughs) Have her help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. The name's repeated twice, and you can almost hear not the Martha, Martha, Yeah, Marsha, 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 if you're a Brady Bunch. (laughs) But how about Martha, Martha, compassion. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has, listen to this word, chosen it. She chose it. Her choice, her decision, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This morning, in the same vein, in talking about Sabbath, there's a necessity and a need in our lives for margin, for margin. And I'm going to explain sort of what this looks like and what this means. And you can get a little bit of a glimpse at a picture of it in this story. 
Uh, it doesn't seem like this was a Sabbath rest day for them, but here is Mary taking a ceasing from her jobs and her duties in the midst of her day to sit at the feet of Jesus, which interestingly enough, in a culture that was like theirs, this would have been, I don't want to say frowned upon, but eyebrows raised. Because the way that situation was is rabbis and men spent time together, but you didn't have a lot of women sitting at the feet of rabbis. Both Mary and Martha were a bit limited in their access to this kind of situation. Both Mary and Martha had roles and duties to be participating in, cultural duties that were expected of them. But in this instance, Mary chooses chooses Jesus, and in choosing Jesus, chooses margin, even within her day. A question I have for you, how many of you feel like you have margin in your life right now? I hear some laughs, some like, oh no. How many of you always feel like you're running out of time? Yes, Yes, I feel like that. You're stressed, you've got nothing left to give even good things. Maybe your day is so filled with things, be it good things or hard things, but your day is so filled with things that when somebody you love and appreciate calls you up, you're like, I I can't even hang out with them, screened. I'm too exhausted. I'm too tired. How many of you want to make new friends, participate in community, but wonder, where is that sort of time going to come from in my life? And for the vast majority of people, Christian or not Christian, religious, irreligious, your emotional and spiritual limit has been absolutely tapped. And if you go any further, you just sense, I can't even function anymore. I don't have the capacity to live well. I've lived in this space. And I remember it was a very vivid time in life when things at home, they were tough. We had one kid, our first, Ava. She was about 10 months. We were joyfully pregnant with another, but you all know what that looks like. One that can barely, you know, walk, crawl. She started walking at like eight months though, right? That was Ava. She was everywhere. My wife's mom had recently passed. I had no idea personally how to be there for my wife in that moment. At work, at the church I was serving at, I kept taking things back on. Hey, Brett, we lost our youth pastor. Do you want to do youth? Well, I built it up once before. Let's do it again. Hey, can you lead this counseling program? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Can you teach Wednesday night Bible study? Yeah, I can do that. Can you lead community groups and lead your community group every other week? Yes, I can do that. All of a sudden, we're out four nights, five nights a week. And I'd look at my wife and go, it's just ministry. And she said, if you ever say that again, <laughs> amen. Amen. I was working on my bachelor's degree, trying to finish that off. The friends that we had all gained were in their late 20s, and they were starting to move away to pursue their careers. And you just went, what is happening? I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And it'd be really easy to point to all the externals and say, well, I just kept getting things dumped on me, and I chose to finish this degree, and I could say all the rest and give excuses, but the reality was I was bringing the vast majority of this on myself. 
because there's a portion of it that made me feel good. Look, I can find success at this. Our people will notice me when I got this piece of paper that says, you did a good job, Brett. Well done. And you can feel sort of the praise that would come and that would keep me going and pushing me further, all the while depleting myself, running my family ragged. And I had no idea that no was a complete sentence. (laughs) This was crazy. In fact, it actually really just hit me this last week as I was studying for this. Um, My 20-year high school reunion is coming up, and I've got this group text with some buddies that we've kind of stayed in and out of touch with. And one of them who tries to all keep us together, he wrote, hey, we bought our tickets to the uh, Pheasant Farms night, whatever, to get together with everybody. I hope you all can make it. And I looked at that text, and I felt anxiety. It's like, first of all, I don't want to go to my high school reunion, but how do I break it to these guys? And if you know me, I'm going to find the most gentle way to say no without making it look like I really don't want to be there or go to it. Anybody else? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like looking at this text, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, put my phone down, drive home. I pick it back up. I'm looking at it. How can I break it to them? And my one friend, Bo, who's always just so blunt, all he wrote was, no, period. And I went, My goodness, you can tell people no and nobody's going to give a stink about it? I had no idea that no is a complete sentence. Why not? Because I don't feel like going. That's what he said. I don't feel like going. No. He has margin and honesty in his life. We need margin. Uh, Richard Swenson, he's kind of the guru in this, and he wrote a book on margins and everything I researched and looked at. All these people kept bringing it back to Richard Swenson. He wrote this on margin. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. There's going to be a graph. If I could, oh, no, actually, yeah, keep that up there, and then we'll get that graph up. It is the amount allowed beyond that which is needed. It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. So I'm going to have this chart thrown up. Down at the bottom, what we see here is load. Load is the things that we take on ourselves. These are good things. Like when I hang out with my family, that's load. When I say yes to going out with friends to get a pizza and drinks or whatever, that is a load that I take on. When I have a meeting or an appointment or counseling or whatever it is, that's load. And what's in between our load and our limit, our limit is the breaking point. Once we get there to the top, that's when we have panic attacks. Um, I've been there. Blood pressure dropped 60 to 30, drove myself to the hospital. They scolded me while I laid on the floor saying I was dying. It was a scene. When I go down, I make a scene. (laughs) Let me tell you. Limit. We hit that and we cannot function. Margin is that space between the two things. 
And part of our problem in this society and this culture is we take this load line and we keep pushing it higher and higher and higher to where that margin line is shrinking to our limit and we have no capacity to function. We have no capacity to make friends. We have no capacity like Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus because we're like Martha. We're so busy doing and saying yes. That becomes our priority And at the end of the day, it's because it makes us feel pretty dang good because people will notice us. I said this about load. It's the things you're responsible for. All the things that you say yes to. Everybody should have some amount of responsibility in their life. But if your load keeps creeping up and up and up and your margin is shrinking, your breaking point is just around the corner I promise you. Swanson goes on to say this. All my, uh, all my Trekkies are going to like this this morning. Life in modern-day America is essentially devoid of space and time. Not the Star Trek kind. The sanity kind. Chronic overload is the culprit. I feel it. You feel it. We feel it. Chronic overload, what is that? Today, there is such thing as activity overload. You may be one of these families right now where you have five nights a week at practices and all day at games, and it's fun and it's exciting, and I'm glad you enjoy being that kind of family and going and going and going, but at some point, activity overload will catch up with you. Promise you that. Change overload. You cannot keep up with change today, political change, societal change, all the things you can and cannot say today anymore. Is that word appropriate or inappropriate today? I have no idea who I'm going to offend. I'm constantly having to filter things through right now here in this space and place. Change. Choice overload. Life is like a buffet with so many options. Should I do this or that? Or should we go there or move here or do these things? And so many choices that are here. And we just can feel it consuming us. Commitment overload. Chronically saying yes to everything. Debt overload, expectation overload, information overload. I don't know the exact statistic, but apparently like one page of the New York Times has more information in it than a human would have consumed in the like 1700s. One page. One page. We weren't meant to know everything going on in every place at every second of time, but open Twitter and you sure can. Noise overload, media overload, and fatigue overload are destroying us and running us ragged. And much like my life in that short season, I don't think God was saying, Brett, I'm super proud of you for taking everything on. Or the Holy Spirit was the one pushing me to kill myself, exhaust myself. But I see a lot of other invitations in the scriptures like, my burden, Jesus would say, is easy and light. Take on my yoke. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Why do we say yes to so much? I'm really bad at pronouncing Chinese names, so here we go. Hyung Chu Han, the Burnout Society, so he wrote this on the, in the Burnout Society. He said, we moved from a disciplinary society to an achievement society. 
A disciplinary society is governed by what you cannot do. So this is like the 1700s, 1800s. You can't do this. You can't be that. And that's typically because of like your class or maybe your caste system that you were born into based on gender, based on religion, what have you. And there's this whole mindset of the things you cannot do. And he says this produced criminals and madmen. But today we are now living in an achievement society. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm others. And in this, you will find your true you. You'll make it. Who you are by what you achieve, by what you do. No wonder we feel the pressure to try everything. Because we're trying to find ourselves. And this has created anxiety, depression, and burnout. Why? What if I'm not the right person? I'm not kidding about that. What if I chose the wrong career path? What if I didn't marry the right person? What if I got it wrong? Or I thought I would do these things that would make me happy, and I'm still miserable. The reality is, this achievement society is not a way to produce peace. It actually produces anxiety in our lives. If we live in a culture that says everything is possible, you can be and do whatever you want, it then actually feels like and leads to everything is impossible. What do I mean? You guys know that everything is possible. Endless abilities, they abound before you. That's sort of the mantra that's put before all of us. And it drives us into a place of depression, and depression says nothing is possible. We live in the most depressed culture and society in the history of the world. Google it. It's true. It's a modern-day phenomenon that has come about from saying everything is possible. What if I'm not in the right space or place, and it creates anxiety, depression, to them, there we say, Nothing is possible. I can't even get out of bed this morning. That's what's happened. Add that to the secular worldview that there is no vision of eternity. There's no next life. This is all you get, so you better get it all now. Is, there's some young people in here. Is YOLO still a thing? Yes. Do it all now, because if you don't, you don't know if there's a next life. So you better do everything. And then we have to speed everything up to squeeze it in. Last week, when I told you about our day of rest over at uh, Trevor and Lauren's house, Trevor was talking to me about how we only have, this was so depressing, the average person, 4,000 weeks to live. We talk about some fun things. (laughs) Hey, man, how's it going? Haven't seen you guys in a few months. You know we only have 4,000 weeks to live? What are you going to do with your time? Sabbath. Going to (laughs) rest. What happens is when we have this mindset, it's sabotaging our capacity for spiritual life, the ability to give and to receive love from God and to others because we're so busy filling our life with what we think will make us happy, with what we think will satisfy us. Therefore, when we're pushed to just slow down and spend time with God, we think, how can I do that? How can I slow down? How can I stop? How can I cease? We have places to go and people to see, and we've got to make this commitment and be at that dinner, and there's no margin in our lives. Church, we need margin. 
There are a lot of other examples, some things I want to get to, but we'll save that for a later teaching. What I want to move to for all of us this morning is to consider Jesus. Is to consider Jesus. Uh, Y'all know we are big fans of Dallas Willard. If you haven't read or heard of Dallas Willard, start. Philosopher, taught at university, so bringing a lot of his insight and input. He's passed away. He's got incredible books and talks and all the rest. And when he was once asked how to describe Jesus in one word, okay, could you do that right now? I mean, you could write it down on a piece of paper. If you want to, you could turn to your neighbor and describe Jesus. And you might be like, boring, because I'm ready to go home. Um, one word described Jesus. Do you know what he said? Relaxed. If you read scripture, try reading the gospel through that lens. Relaxed. See if you come up with it. If you look at the rhythm of Jesus' life. Now, I don't like that word relaxed. Relaxed to me sounds lazy, and I'm not lazy. I like to do. I like to produce. I like to get things done. But if you look at it, Jesus was very, very relaxed, even when people were freaking out because he didn't show up on time. And he said, I'll be there when I need to be there. He never freaked out in that way. He's not in a hurry. He seems to almost delay intentionally to teach us a lesson. He's always in control, never rushed. He's never reactive. And check this out. Interruptions do not bother Jesus. Interruptions bother busy people, okay? If you are constantly frustrated and annoyed with an interruption, you have no margin in your life. You are at your max capacity, and you are about to break. Margin is important for this reason. How so? We've kind of already gone through it in this way, but you've got Mary and Martha, both with responsibility. Both had things to do. Yet when one invites margin into her life, she's actually able, with laser-like focus, to sit down with Jesus. And Jesus says to Martha, those things aren't going to fulfill or satisfy you. In fact, you're getting upset. You're questioning me. You're pointing fingers at your sister. Do you know why you're doing that? It's not because you're over here serving me, this great thing to be doing, serving Jesus, making the meal, cleaning up after everybody. That's great stuff. She was not doing it to serve Jesus, was she? She was looking for some kind of accolade. Because if she was doing it to serve Jesus, who cares if her sister was helping or not? Right? It's a good point. Who cares? It's just for you, Lord. But she wanted something from it, so she became irritable. Lord, tell her to help me. She became suspicious. God, Lord, don't you care about me? The answer for us this morning is margin. The answer for you, the answer for me, is margin. That God has given us freedom to embrace and take into our lives. Margin will allow for interruptions to be opportunities in your life. I've learned in my own life, and I've, I know I've got like the ability to create that in my own schedule. I work different than some people. But I've been putting an hour in between when I meet with others. And this last week, that proved to be very productive as I bumped into two people, one not a follower of Jesus, and we sat down and talked about their life for an hour and a half and just got to sit there and then pray afterwards, care for them. 
When I book my life out so busy, I don't have time for that kind of stuff. It allows for my wife to call me up and be like, can we actually get lunch today? Yeah, we can do that when you create margin. Margin allows for interruptions to be opportunities to pour out to other people. Margin gives you time to be a better friend. So you can and do have the energy to help somebody move or watch their kids or just go to dinner and enjoy a long evening around the fire, lingering, discussing, laughing, because we're not rushed to the next thing. Become a better friend. John Ortberg wrote, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. I want to be a better friend. I mean, I have to say no to some things, good things, things I want to go do. But I say no because I go, these things are more important, and I have margin in them. So what do I want to do? Invite you into margin. You can simply on your iPhone calendar, Google calendar, whatever calendar, put margin on there. Maybe it's 7 to 8 in the morning or 1 to 2 during your lunch break or 5 to 6, and that's just the time to step back. Interruptions can happen. It's not time to get work done, but time to say, I'm just here. I'm going to be still and at peace. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to allow for a conversation, a phone call. I'm going to create margin when my friends come over. I'm not going to stack things or make a busy morning the next morning so in order I can hang out late if they choose to stay late. Number two, learn to say no. No is a complete sentence, and there is freedom in that. It's not freedom to be a jerk or to be a loner, but to give yourself the opportunity to say no to some things so you can say yes to others. And I like this. Uh, Michael was talking to me about this. Learn to embrace boredom. Now I look at my kids, I'm like, I would kill to be bored. <laughs> and then I start reading this stuff and realizing I can work and massage my schedule in a way that's like, you know what? You can learn to create this space. Even if it's at odd and awkward times. Boredom is this opportunity which might feel strange at first, but to contemplate God's creation, to enjoy just sitting still, and thinking and dreaming and being quiet. And I really believe that this practice of Sabbath in general, of slowing down one day a week, will lead us into a practice of learning margin throughout our week in our lives. Practice this. Jesus has invited us into it. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, the reminder of our need for margin. For all those who are heavy laden and burdened, this morning, overwhelmed, fearful, whether it's burdened with family or debt or pressures, or just burdened with having to keep up with culture and the latest fad, may we lean into the rest that you have given. Enjoy it and slow down so we can enjoy you and enjoy others around us. Help us in this. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue to worship the Lord uh, in song. During this first song, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's communion tables down front. You can grab communion. You can go sit back in your seat. I believe Joel is leading us in communion this morning, offering box to give to what God is doing here. 
This is a margin right now. Right now is a margin to be still, to be quiet. Unintentionally, we accidentally started a little late. That's okay. That's margin. And they go, we're going to embrace this time and sit before God and receive from him. I want to invite you into that as we're now led into a time of just praising, praising the Lord.